Good evening. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana, and also Denver, Colorado, where today we have a very special guest for you, Guero Loco. I'd like to thank University of Colorado and Colorado Springs for their wonderful help and their wonderful shows that they produce on their online radio station, Radio UCCS, radio.uccs.edu. Check it out. It's a wonderful uh, station, one of the top online college radio stations in the United States. And we're very proud to be associated with them and the station manager, Kyle Boyle. And thank you to the faculty for their support and also to Marge Mystery, who no longer is with us. Um, we're going to start right now without uh, further delay, and I'm going to read to you a little uh, blurb out of a language magazine about Guero Loco. Guero Loco is an award-winning bilingual educational hip-hop artist, and he's also known as Mr. GL, right? And uh, he is an artist focused on motivating students to learn another language and realize their potential to succeed. He travels the country performing for students, educators, and parents. GL has been the keynote and featured speaker at several language conferences in the United States, including uh, the Colorado Association for Bilingual Ed, uh, the Dual Language Education uh, Association of New Mexico, California Association for Bilingual Ed, New Mexico Association Bilingual Ed, Texas Association for Bilingual Education. He is originally from Indiana and currently resides in Los Angeles, but he's uh, right now in Denver and heading for uh, Oregon soon. Uh, he contributes, his contributions to Language Magazine cover his current educational tour travels and experiences. And you can keep in touch with GL Guero Loco on Twitter at at Guero Loco or on, uh, uh, on his uh, website, www.bilingualnationusa.com. So, Guero, good evening. How are you? Hey, good evening, Mr. Austin. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, we're excited to have you on the show. Pleasure as always to, be, uh, to have you on our show. And you can kind of pick us up and put us in. Uh, contact here with the realities of things, all right? Um, so, Okay, I'll, I'll do the best I can, thank you. Can you tell us a, a little bit about um, what you're doing now and what you've been doing and, and kind of where you're from, how you got started, okay? Okay, um, well, I mean, I, I'm originally from Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, that, that's, that's where I was born and raised. And um, for folks that don't know my story, um, I, um, like I said, I grew up in Indiana. Uh, Mr. Austin was one of my, my high school teachers. Um, I was really motivated in, in, in his class learning Spanish. Um, didn't completely believe in myself, but, but Mr. Austin was there to, to, to kind of push me and tell me, hey, you know, this is the, um, you know, the, you're, you're really good at this and you're really good at this and just, just kind of made me look at the language differently. And then by the time that I got to the next semester, um, I, I just lost the motivation, I, I guess. Um, and Mr. Austin wasn't my teacher that semester, but, um, you know, I was just kind of like looking a little too far ahead. I couldn't see how, how learning another language could benefit me in my life. So I'm like, why do I even need to learn this language? And so I just kind of, kind of gave up. And the result of it was, was me, um, basically failing the class. I received an F, should have gotten an F. 
and I went and talked with the teacher and, and did a little bit of begging, and then she ended up giving me a P for passing. Thank goodness. I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, and then I joined the Marine Corps, and when I joined the United States Marine Corps, they told me that my job was going to be learning languages, um, surprisingly enough. And they sent me to the Defense Language Institute. Um, and then from there, after I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I started a career as a Spanish hip hop artist, um, rapping solely in Spanish um, for many, many years. And then from there, I became a, um, a dual language educator at Belzer Middle School in Lawrence Township, Indianapolis, and started working with uh, dual language students. And really, that's when that's what connected me to to the education. Um, for, for the most part, and I started to see um, how students learn, um, how young people learn working with, um, with middle school, seventh and eighth graders, and it just really, um, it really motivated me about um, for, for our future, you know, because a lot of times people are quick to dismiss the millennials and to, to say um, negative things about them, I, I mean, but really, I mean, they're an incredibly, amazingly bright group, and I think that, that um it's these generations that are going through the school process now. It's very, very important that we educate them in the best way possible because they are our future and they're going to be here longer than the most of the rest of us. Um, and we really, really need to empower them with the tools to be successful in order to, um, to make this, this world, um, a lot better place, you know, than, um, than, than it is, than it is right now. So, so basically that's, um, that's how I got started and then, since then, um, uh, Mr. Alsop and I collaborated a little bit, and I started doing presentations around the United States um, and Mexico, uh, speaking to students about why they should learn other languages, and you know, hopefully connecting with the students that are sitting there like me, wondering why should I learn this language? How is it ever going to help me out? Um, like how I was when I was 16 years old, and if I can connect with them a little bit and motivate them a little bit to take learning a language seriously, then hopefully you know, we're, we're taking some positive steps um, and showing them how they can use um, languages um, um, in positive ways in their life. Yeah, beautiful. And thank you so much for your kind comments. That was very nice. Uh, and also, um, one of the things that uh, uh, I think is going to be fun tonight, too, when you're talking, well, number one is you, you did do two beautiful DVDs, one of them is rapping the variables, right? And the other one is the alphabeto for rapping educational uh, oh, DVDs. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, those DVDs uh, were, are projects that, that, uh, that you, myself, and Chuck Hodge worked on. Yes. And, um, and yeah, it, it, it's pretty great. cool. You know, it's pretty cool to be able to jump in and really see how music can be used in, in education. Absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Southwest and bilingual education because – like, I'm out here in the Midwest, and a lot of the people listening may be from the Midwest, the East Coast. What's bilingual education like in the Southwest? Um, for example, uh, what what type of students are in bilingual education? Where did where would they come from? Well, um, I, I think that within the Southwest, it's... Um, it's especially being someone from the Midwest. I want to, I want to phrase this correctly, but like growing up in the Midwest, um, a lot of times when we learn about history and when we study U.S. history, we, the main focus of that is on like Plymouth Rock and the East Coast and the 13 original colonies. We don't really put a lot of focus on what was going on in the Southwest. For example, 
um, Santa Fe being the, the first, um, the first European capital in, in what we know as, as the United States here. And, and, you know, little things like that, that we're not as connected to. And the Southwest has this rich, rich history of indigenous people and, and, um, what we may call Latinos or Mexicanos, Chicanos. Um, it just, it's rich history that a lot of us, from other places aren't, aren't connected to. And that's what I've been able to find out being someone from the Midwest and coming out here and, and experiencing the Southwest in, in New Mexico, uh, California, um, and Colorado are the main three places that, that I've been. But, um, but so, it is, it is different because in the Midwest, we're used to, um, Latinos and other immigrant groups, um, that, that have, that have recently came. We're used to them being more of, of an immigrant. Base um, or a recent arrival, I think maybe the, the, the best the best way to say it. Whereas in in these places over here in the Southwest, you know, um, people uh, of indigenous descent and of of what we would call Latino descent nowadays, you know, they've been here for for thousands of years, and so I think that there is where the where the different the, the differences start. And I don't know if I'm if I'm answering your question yes. exactly right, but I'm just talking about one of the hurdles. Yes. That, or one of the things that it that it took me to learn, or for me to to be able to see um, over here, in, in order to really really appreciate the the diversity and the the uh, the survival of of these cultures here in the Southwest. Yes, and one of the things that um, you brought up here about, uh, well, let's just think about this for a minute, and I, I think you'll probably agree with this idea, but. Suppose we were, we have people living in the Midwest, we have people living in the Southwest, we have people living in the Deep South, we have people on the East Coast. It Could it be that our country today, that even though we're not terribly far geographically, we are in miles, really, in many cases, far away from each other, but is it a fact then, probably, that, uh, what do you think, that uh, we have this lack of understanding of other cultures within our own country because of the geography divide, that there's so much distance between our states that we lose what's going on quite a bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that and even take it a, a step further and say sometimes we don't even know about the culture of the people living across the street from us. Because we're so, we're so, some, some folks can be so scared or feel isolated in, in interacting with folks who may be different or look different than them or who may they just perceive different than them. Um, but so definitely when there's like miles and miles and miles of gap, there's going to be, there are definitely going to be, um, um, cultural misunderstandings or, or even sometimes just cultural I- um, ignorance about people within our own country. I mean, we're a huge, huge, vast, um, vast uh, piece of land here that makes up the, the United States of America. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel like, like that uh, we could really benefit from learning about people from our own yeah, country is. as well and, and learning about the different regions just so we can be a little more connected and we won't have so many stereotypes yes, um, yes. Kind of connected to those, to those as well. And that probably becomes an educational issue. That, that schools today need to address in the curriculum, right? I mean, there needs to be something done about communicating with other cultures and uh, perhaps even improving our communication skills where, like, we're talking now, you know, that we're live, we're talking. Uh, but 
let's suppose if we talk about technology, for example, and um, that everybody's prone or a great majority of us, we're, we're on the phone a lot, right? You know, we're type we're texting, we're, we're talking, you know, we're, we're in social media a lot. We're, it, it's social, but it really isn't social, the type of uh, social activity that's going to help me know the guy across the street, right? You know, like in the, in the old days, you used to go down to the street corner and you'd have, you'd go down to the soda shop or whatever and you get a Coke or whatever, and, and, but you met people socially, right? And you learned about their culture and things. It was almost an automatic thing. And the big thing I observe, and we, I think we've talked about this a little bit, this summer in, in Havana, when I was in, living in that neighborhood, or in that neighborhood a lot, uh, the, the, the barrio of uh, La Vibra, uh, I, I noticed the people at night, they didn't have a lot of technology, so they'd be out in the streets talking to each other, socializing, and it reminded me of how things were in the past here, maybe 25 years ago, 30 years ago. But... It's, it's almost like uh, maybe if we had a happy mix of technology and real life things going on, we might be better for it. Do you think that's true or not? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, because we've got to have that, that human element, that, that human contact. I mean, regardless of how, you know, socially, you know, like as far as Internet socially strong we are. I mean, we need that, that human contact. But um, but also, I think that that's just going to be a natural um, something natural that comes out of this because people are going to get sick of not having that real contact. And yes. I think that. Yes. But we also have this very powerful tool, which is so, which is social media. Yes. And so I think that that what we're starting to see more is social media being used to push people out into networking spaces, into getting out and and, meet, and meeting with people. Yes. And I mean, yeah. you know, some the other the other things we have to change in our culture. Are things like being attached to you know the the TV as much and yes. uh, you know to the, and, and I'm guilty of this as well so I'm not like you know out here judging anyone but um, but I think that we have to change our own um, routines in other areas as well so that way it's not it's not like oh I can't make it because I have to watch my favorite show and yeah. now we have technology like DVR and those types of things to record shows. And things like that, but sometimes we also get in the habits of, oh, it's Monday at six o'clock, and I'm going to watch this. You know, so I think that also being able to to break from other habits as well that that cause us to be antisocial, I think, is it can also be productive. Absolutely. Now, what about uh, this? I know you did an article for the the for the the World Language. No, it's not. It's just called Language Magazine. I guess it's all languages, right? Improving Literacy and Communication. Language Magazine, correct? And I've got the yep, article. Yep, Language Magazine. And the article is called, on the nice magazine, by the way. Congratulations. A beautiful article, nice, beautiful magazine. And on the road to multilingualism. And bilingual rapper Guero Loco takes us on his passionate journey to promote language learning and allow students to reap the benefits. Um... And then it talks about um, some of your travels, your experiences, and then uh, with students in many countries learning three to four languages. I really like this, especially learning three to four languages um, before they're out of, uh, of their uh, high school. English only just doesn't make sense, right, anymore. In other words... Um, 
I guess we're trying to say uh, in Europe, right? Maybe three or four languages people speak, correct? And and here, oh, yeah. and here, many times we're 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 just English, right? Unfortunately, and sometimes it's bilingual if if it's in the Southwest, right? It's more bilingual, but in the Midwest it may not be. In many cases, it's monolingual, right? And uh, so, what do you think we should do about that? Do you have any? I know you have a lot of ideas about that. Well, well even in the Southwest, if, if if you look at things like or on the West Coast, um, uh, California, you know, California, the voters thankfully just voted to end the ban on bilingual education, which in many cases. There, you, there was bilingual education still existed, but not for Latino students. Or it was very, it was a very, very difficult process for for Latino students who had um, native speakers in the home to get into these bilingual programs. And that's just that's just going going backwards. But I mean, yeah, the rest of the world is gearing up to be able to do business with the rest of the world. And you know, and and aside from that, aside from the business and economic impact of of knowing other languages, also the human to human aspects as well. When we learn other languages, we begin to learn about other people, and we begin to learn that maybe we're not so different than the person next to me. And I think that that is the greatest thing that I've learned from um, during this multilingual um, kind of voyage, this trip that I've been on. Um, I think is that being able to connect with other people through language. And I think that that's the most empowering thing um, because, yeah, you know, definitely learning another language will help us, you know, you can make more money, you can possibly get into a better school or, or beat someone out to get a job. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, this life that we're in, it's all about those human connections that we're able to make. Now, is, is, is the culture, when we talk about... Uh, bilingual education and the culture in the Southwest, the, the, uh, the people, the Hispanic people, for example, um, is that, is that observable? I assume it is very observable in daily life where you can see someone who's brought up in the U S with parents, let's say who are from Mexico and where you can see both cultures functioning side by side. I I would imagine, correct? Where they're both functioning together, right? I mean, it's like the two cultures kind of combine. Is that a good way to look at it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, all throughout the all throughout the the Southwest, San Antonio is a great example of a city um, that's like that. Denver, many areas of Denver, even though Denver is becoming super super gentrified. I've lived out here um, a couple times over the past ten years. And so I've been able to see this change, um, been out here quite often. And, um, and so this was one place that had that feeling. Right now I'm in the of what we call Calle Mayor, I'm sorry, Calle Mayor. And it is kind of like a, um, a cultural hub here for, um, you know, Latino based. Um, and it's to kind of preserve a little bit of the culture of where we're at right now, which is Federal Boulevard and, and Alameda. And so there are many people in areas that are trying to preserve, uh, preserve this culture, but also a lot of times, you know, the, um, well, the quote unquote, and I say this very, very kind of sarcastically, but the progress, um, 
takes over regardless of the amount of culture that that's in a lot of these places we're seeing it in LA and Los Angeles all over the place where even now places that before we would have thought were untouchable like East LA and Boyle Heights now they're they're also being being gentrified and there's amazing people that really care about preserving cultures in in their areas that are that are fighting against this but sometimes I mean, it's it's really a, a losing battle because many times it's folks that, that don't have a lot fighting against um, Which, other folks yes. that, that do have a lot. And that, so and that, preserving the, the cultures out here, I think, is something that um, that that is very very important, and we need to be focused on more. Now, I know you were highly focused on the uh, situation in Standing Rock, right, with the Native Indians there and what was going on. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about? why you got excited about going there, what you did, and how you got there, what you did, uh, and some of your experiences there, and what was the outcome, the good good outcome of the whole thing? Um, for me, Standing Rock was a lot of things combined. It, it, it ended up triggering a lot of things um, emotionally. Um, as someone who loves this country very much, as a United States veteran, a United States Marine, um, it, it ended up just really hitting me the wrong way when I saw U.S. citizens being attacked, people that were peacefully protesting um, being attacked um, with dogs, with water cannons, um, in freezing temperatures, um, the, um, explosive devices, rubber bullets. Like, it just sent, like, this horror through my body, and I said, if I don't do something, you know, I'm going to regret it for the for the rest of my life. Um, I'm during all of this because when I started to really pay attention was back in August, um, September. I'd heard some things, I'd shared some things, but you know, I um, I it was really August, September when I really started to put notice on it, and that's when the camp started to swell as well. Um, during that time, I'm in the middle of a tour, <clears throat> so I'm traveling across the United States, and you know, I already had all of these these prior commitments and getting to North Dakota from anywhere in the United States seems to be a difficult, difficult process. Um, logistically trying to, um, trying to make that happen. But all excuses aside, I was starting to feel really down because I wasn't able to make it happen. And, and that's when I saw the call, the call for veterans. And that's when I saw the, um, the, the veterans for Standing Rock that day and did the call for veterans to come peacefully. Um, protest to be a sort of line between the, the peaceful protesting civilians, as we would call them, and then us, the veterans. I mean, still civilians, but, you know, we've got that, that title and the history. And so, um, you know, I, I, it was like an immediate, like, yes, like, this, this is what I've been waiting for um, to be able to help get me up there. And, and another big thing about me going up there was, I didn't want to go to Standing Rock. I didn't want to go to any um, any native reservation without an invitation. I didn't want to just go go up there and be like, "Hey, here I am. Um, you know, let me you know help you out and let me you know learn about your culture and this and that." No, I I, I wanted to go because it was um, because we were invited, and I think that that also stood out to me as well. And so, Standing Rock for me represented a, a lot of different things. I mean. Um, United States citizens do not deserve to be treated with less rules of engagement than foreign combatants. Um, that's just that's just ludicrous to me. And um, and there were a lot of veterans that went with very much with love, with patriotism, and with peacefulness in their heart, and they were willing 
to put their bodies on the line again, again, after they've already um, established, you know, being the U.S. veteran that they at one time would have done that. They were this time willing to do it all over again to stand up for people. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, with the camp, as soon as we sat on the camp, um, there was all this celebration and I was like, what's going on? They're like, oh, you know, they denied the easement. There was all this celebration going on and it's like, oh, wow, like, you know, this actually happened. Something positive actually happened. And then the more I started talking with some of the native folks, the more they helped to put it into perspective for me that, um, you know, that the, the, the oil company could continue to drill. Um, through their sacred lands, and they could drill under under that river just with with paying a fine, or under that lake, um, just by paying a fine. And so there were, you know, they started to put the reality. They said, "We've heard this for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, we've heard these promises for years, but these promises are always broken." And so for me, you know, it, it just really put my own privilege in perspective as well. Um, so, you know, because I'm like, yeah, you know, the government said this and, you know, this is how it's going to be. And they're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down, slow down. And I even know not to believe that much, but I guess I was just looking for that glimmer of positivity in the situation that was so becoming so, um, so dire um, with, with many people being, being injured. Um, now, was, how cold process. was it when you were there? It was pretty cold, wasn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, it hit like negative twenty, negative twenty five degrees. I've never been in anything like that in, in my life. And I'm from Indiana, I put some good time in in Indiana. Um never been through anything like it in my life. Um thankfully, um because I ended up getting separated um from my team out there. Thankfully I had some friends from LA, um some Latino friends from LA that um were there as the press with PBS Latino and they um were more than happy to um to uh, to hook me up and let me stay with them and um, and really took care of me. Um, so shout outs um, to to Felipe and John Chavalito, Manuel. So for really um, really taking care of me while we were um, while while we were out there. Now the the final result was what? Then I mean, it was, the agreement was made to bypass the land, right? Um, the, yeah, that's what, that's what it says. Um, even though there's still drilling going on right now, um, there are still people in camp. Um, they had to divert a bunch of people out because it was just really just like sucking out the natural resources of the area, you know, to be up for the firewood and, and those types of things. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, but I mean, you know, here soon, maybe, you know, when, when somebody's listening to, to this broadcast, um, you know, we're, we're going to have the president that we're about to have. And at any moment, he could change that. You know, not trying to be political, but just talking about the issues. I mean, he had, like, lots and lots of money invested in, in this pipeline as well. Um, so, I mean, well, we'll hope that, yeah. because it's, not just, it's not just Standing Rock right now. In, in Texas, there's, um, there's, there's another fight going on in New Mexico. There's a, um, there, there's a fight going on. And yes, we have lots of pipelines that run all through the United States. But if you pay attention to the news, if you really, really look, they're bursting and they're breaking and they're exploding and they're polluting, polluting our natural resources. And once the water is polluted, once it's gone, then that's when the real death starts to happen. And, and, and this, um, yeah. And, and I don't want that for our kids and for, for our grandkids. Right. And, right. and I mean, at the end of the day, you know, that's, it's just like you say, water is life. Water is life, and then the other interesting thing is that uh, 
this this land this is the really part of the culture culture of the native indians right of these people you know this is this is their culture and uh, um i would imagine that uh that in itself is, is reason enough to that we stop some of this silliness right that we think about the culture sure. and i mean the people have very little remnants left of their culture and uh it certainly would be nice if we could preserve what little we have, right, of, of, the, of the culture. Well, um, I, I think that um, that most definitely we can learn a lot of things from, from listening to the natives. Um, absolutely, they've been, um, they, they, they've got like really great ideas that don't happen to go back like thousands and thousands of years and it's pretty cool. Um, the way that we were treated by the natives when we got there in, um, by the Cheyenne River, um, Sioux and South Dakota, and also the Standing Rock Sioux, um, and Standing Rock Lakota and Cheyenne River Lakota. Um, I, I know a lot of people use those terms, um, interchangeably, but, um, um, but I should have said Lakota and I apologize for that. Um, but the, but being up there, they treated us like phenomenally, phenomenally well, um, uh, while we were there. And, um, and it was just, the overall message at Standing Rock was peace and love. They said that as they were being attacked, as they were being attacked, they were praying. And they weren't praying for themselves, they were praying for their attackers. And so when you hear this type of stuff, sometimes yes. it's very counterintuitive, especially you know, for me. You know, sometimes that can be a little bit hard charging. I'm a Marine, you know? Um, and to hear this and to hear that type of guidance for a lot of of us, for a lot of us veterans, um, it was very, very calming and it was very helpful um, to hear that type of message coming from them because we know that we're going, you know, to gear up for whatever and 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 I was only going to keep it peaceful. Like, possibly, me, like, whatever happened to me happened, but I was only going to go there with peaceful intentions because that's what the native right, people want. Right. And plus fundamentally I also believe in peace. Right. Um, and, and I don't I, I I don't believe in violence being being the yes. answer. Now I know that you did go uh, you presented uh uh gave a, a little uh, presentation, I guess about an hour on Standing Rock at uh where was that? It was in Indianapolis, I believe, right? Uh, yeah, that was the center for um, the center for interfaith cooperation, and um, and it's there by Butler University um, in Indianapolis. And I was able to go go in there with uh, with the Reverend Anastasia, and um, and we were able to talk about um, our experiences. She was a Reverend that um, became a chaplain for the veterans, and we were just able to talk about our experiences with the local people in the home city that that wanted to listen. Now, did were you able to get get a clip from that or not in audio? Uh, no, no, we we weren't able to. So, um, uh, with the weather coming in like crazy, it ended up being about like fifteen or twenty of us, and so we so it became just a very very relaxed kickback and right. Just kind of, you right. Know. So, uh, where are you going to be going next? Uh, now you're going to be out in Oregon, and can you tell the listeners where you're going to be appearing in the next three or four months? Uh, yeah, I'm in I'm in Denver, Colorado right now, and I leave from Denver on Thursday to go to Oregon, um, keynoting the um, the Oregon Bilingual Winter Institute, um, and that's going to be this Friday. And then from there, I'm going to go and um, 
uh, blow up to Seattle and to Canada for a little bit and then shoot, shoot back down to Portland for some school shows. Um, from there, I go to Cali. I'm trying to, I've got this old map down my head. Um, I go to Cali for just like six days and then I've got to go to Houston, Texas for two weeks. And while I'm in Texas, um, that's when I'm going to be doing the performances for the, um, the Super Bowl experience there in Houston, Texas. So the, um, so that should be really fun. So you're going to be doing a, some performances live and like uh, the two or three days up to the Super Bowl, right? Um, it, it's actually, I think the way my schedule works out is I'm performing five days okay. and they're, um, they're very, so every other day I'll be performing. So I'm going to try to, on, the, on my off days when I'm not performing for the Super Bowl experience, then I will be performing um, at schools. Um, at schools in the Houston area. Now, you, so if anybody from Houston is listening, I'm available. And are you going to be doing some live video from those those performances for the Super Bowl? Um, yeah, as much as, as much as they let me. So um, I'll YouTube. either be live broadcasting or also my my uh, my my Houston contacts from the Avian Kingdom. So they 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 may be as as well. Okay, okay, sounds good. Um, so. This this idea of culture, then, um, I'm going to come back to the culture idea a little bit, because sometimes I think that when language teachers, and we're all probably guilty of this to a point, but we're language teachers when we're teaching language, that sometimes we get more concerned, perhaps, or too overly concerned with grammar and detail, and we forget about communication, you know, the simple acts that we were talking about earlier of learning how to greet people and and chat a little bit and, and do some conversation and also to learn about the actual culture that of the people that we're studying right there we happen to be studying about mexico that we're learning something about something about mexican culture if we're learning about colombia that we learn some colombian culture or spain we learn culture of spain but uh, in in our rush to teach vocab and grammar sometimes, I think that we don't have enough time to teach culture. Would you agree to that? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think that, um, that well, and, and I think that, that, um, that there are uh, definitely a bunch of teachers that do put culture as, as a focal point. Right. But I think that, yeah, in a lot of classrooms, I do think that that could be more made part of it and where you, where we can kind of show the kids and get the kids hyped up about about some of the cultural aspects so that way they'll be more interested in, in learning yes you know I, yeah. I know a lot of people that learn spanish because they started they learned how to salsa dance yes and so you know through that through that cultural experience of dance of, of salsa they started to learn the words of the songs that they were listening to. And, and then through that, they started conversating with people. And now all of a sudden, they're, they're fully bilingual. And just a disclaimer, I don't suffer, by the way. So I, I'll learn one day. But, but, uh, but what, that's a good point. To, yeah. And I think some of your music has inspired kids along the way, too. And I think they've learned some of your rap songs. And they've that inspires them to learn language. And... And I think you've done very well with that too, you know, not necessarily dance, but especially your music. And that's a, certainly another cultural tool as well uh, that, that many teachers use. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, oh, I wonder if we need to put a lot more emphasis on the culture game than we do on the language per se game, you know, that uh, 
maybe we should uh, kind of flip it a little bit. Maybe we should get more involved in uh, the daily life in the countries and all these little customs and idioms and all these little idiosyncrasies, as well as the language. But uh, to give heavy, heavy play to all these little things, because I, as you mentioned, I think that's what students really get interested in. They would like to learn, and it makes it makes the study of language much more rich and meaningful. Do, do you agree to that, or? Yeah, yeah, I do, and and I really think that the people that are going to be the most effective at at what you're talking about are going to be the people that finds how to combine the two together. Yes. So you're simultaneously teaching the two. Yes. A lot of people don't like to be lectured at. They like to be to see things that visuals or, or audio yes. to be able to to help stimulate those learning centers. So if you're able to teach language while also giving visuals and showing or 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 other ways that are that are representative of you know the human experience of, the, of yes, learning of besides culture. just yes. hearing the lecture um, or just yes. reading it by the word, um, I think that if if we do that, if we can find the ways to combine them, then I think that that's when the jackpot comes for our kids to be more successful. Yeah, um, learning. Languages. I was just thinking there could be cultural centers, music centers, dance centers, uh, idiom centers, uh, uh, family custom centers, holiday centers within a, within a given classroom, right? You could have all this going on at the same time, you know, in teams and things. So there's a, there's a tremendous um, wealth of opportunity, I think, to, for teachers to, to think about, well, including yeah, culture. And, and the other thing is, is that also that also means that, that our educators have to become more culturally exposed as well? Yes. Um, I know many, many that, that get out to, to all over the place in the many different countries, but but you, it's way different when a teacher is talking about, oh yeah, this is this country and you, this is the capital and this is this, rather than okay, this is the country of Ecuador and here are the pictures from where from when I went and this this is, this is the country of Mexico and here's the video from when I went and this is the person that I met when I went there and this is the experience that I had and all of a sudden it's first person experiences being conveyed to the students and the students are yes. more yes. interactive plus they get to get the cheese they get to get the gossip of the teacher and hear the teacher tell stories about their own yes. and and culture. I think that that type yes. of stuff that that type of stuff sticks you know it sticks with the with the students and some things they're going to be able to relate to as well you know if a, if a if an educator talks about oh well this is what i thought how it was going to be this was a stereotype that i had and they're open and they're honest about it but this is what i learned um that it wasn't quite like how i thought it was right. i think that that has yes. that has power as well yes. how about um, connecting to yeah. students how about your favorite places to visit what are your favorite countries to visit um, well, I, I just I just got back from Cuba um, and back in October, and so that's uh, that's the freshest one. Um, besides a brief stop in Mexico for some tacos um, in in uh, November, but um, it was uh, Cuba, absolutely awesome. I really want to go back. Um, I hope that that the relations continue to improve so that a lot of us can have this experience. But also, we have to be very mindful. Um, with Cuba, you and I were discussing because both of us have been about the food rations um, that are that are now a lot of people are getting their food, you know, because so many tourists are coming, and so that food is going to tourists. Um, and so, like, we have to just be mindful of the way that we that we um, participate in um, 
in the interactions with with uh, Cuba as U.S. citizens and be be mindful of of these things as as well. Right. Um, but Cuba is absolutely awesome. Uh, Oaxaca, Mexico, is another one of my favorite places. Um, uh, definitely one of my favorite places is Oaxaca and then San Luis Potosi. Um, is I, I just yeah I don't have the words for San Luis. So yes. these are all places I, I want to get back to very very soon. Now, did you? Um, have any insights or advice for young world language teachers starting out as to what uh, would really be good for them to do to to get a good start teaching? Um, I, I'd say like really, really have the experience. Have the experience of you know you're going to be teaching language, you're going to be teaching culture. Have those real life experiences for yourself. Go visit different countries. Go, um, go, uh, go different places. Go and speak with the people there, so that way you you you're going to become better because you're going to become more fluent and not just linguistically, but also culturally and, and humanly um, fluent and, and understanding understanding other people and being able to connect. And and I think with that, it helps to spark a lot of um, a lot of love. And you know that love can be transcended through the through the teachings, um, through through what we're teaching our kids. And if they see the teachers excited about it, that's the first step to getting them excited. That's not that doesn't mean they're always going to be excited just because the teacher is. But if the teacher's not excited about it, then guess what? The kids probably definitely aren't going to be correct. Um, so I think that, that that it helps to kind of ignite that um, ignite that that fire. So I would say go and have authentic experiences. Um, Go and shop at, at the local Mexican grocery stores um, and talk in Spanish. You know, if you're if you're not traveling out of the country, you know, go to your local your local stores and just really use it, use it as much as possible, use it in in, in authentic ways. Um, and and once you're at a comfort level, you know, also remember that um, Latin America and even Mexico as a as a country is very diverse. Um, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of different culture. Um, so no one's going to be able to know everything about everything, but it helps to be able to, to, yeah, you know, you may know a lot about Mexico, but what about El Salvador or what about um, Honduras or what about, you know, Colombia or Spain or Cuba, you know, these are, or even parts of the United States, like like Puerto Rico, um, you know, how do we, um, how do we start to learn to expand our awareness, I guess, so that way we don't pigeonhole ourselves either. One thing that I'm very, um, that's, that's always, um, that I guess made me proud. I don't know if that's the right word, but is the fact that my friends come from all different places. Um, the Spanish that I learned comes from various different countries, various different dialects. And it's made me, um, I would like to think that it's made me a stronger Spanish speaker and, and stronger in being able to connect with people because, you know, if I'm talking with, with Dominicanos, then my Spanish is, it changes a little bit. If I'm, if I'm speaking with, with Mexicanos, um, depending on where they're from, even, you know, my, the way that I speak is going to change, um, as, as well. And that's just, you know, that's, that's just part of it. And I don't know what that is. It's a little bit of code switching, but it's also just, just being culturally aware, yes. um, that people are going to, people are going to hear you, hear, they're going to hear your message more when you sound like them. Yes. Um, and and, and where, so, so I think that, that's important yes, too. Yes. Good, good. Wonderful thoughts. Where do you, uh, if the listeners would like to listen to your music, 
learn more about you, where are the two or three sites that they should go to? Um, it's a bilingual nation USA. Um, that is, dot com. I'm sorry, bilingual nation USA dot com. Uh, that's my official website, guadalocal.com, uh, but that one just funnels right into um, the Bilingual Nation USA. Um, also, on your site, if they're interested in the DVDs, um, they can go they can go to, to your site. And um, But if they're interested, especially like for bookings and things like that, then go to Bilingual Nation USA. Um, you can see a little bit of what's, uh, of what's been going on. Um, send me an email if you have any questions at all. Please send me an email. Um, I'll send you some some other information. And I'm, I'm uh, and your I would email, love to be what, able to, to get out to some different areas. What is your than, than, yeah. than where I'm what, what is your email? Um, bilingual Nation USA at gmail dot com. Okay. So Bilingual Nation USA at gmail dot com is the is the best email. And then yeah, just shoot me an email, and then I'll tell you what. Anybody that that, uh, that sends me an email that says that they heard it on this program, uh, or that they heard this this interview, anybody that does, send me um, send me an email message to bilingualmissionusa at gmail dot com, and I will send them a free um, MP3 of the uh, the Spanish alphabet rap, so the ABC rap with the A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O N Y. Um, okay. You can get it just by sending me an email saying that you heard me on Mr. Alsip's program. Now that's bilingualnationusa at gmail.com? Yes, sir. Bilingualnationusa at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. Um, well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. And it, it, again, it's great fun to talk to you and find out what you're doing and, and what's happening and uh it sounds like you're going to be very busy in the next three or four months running around, but that's good. And uh, I know the kids are going to get get a great uh, uh, have a great educational experience listening to your music and your ideas, and especially your po- positivity, which you also are incredibly good at. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and um, we'll be in touch. Okay. All right, and thank you, Mr. Joseph. I appreciate it. All right, and uh, to the listeners, uh, we will see you soon. And uh, by the way, I wanted to say a couple of things. Happy New Year. This is the first show of the new year. Guero, you're the first guest in the new year. And uh, also, uh, we wish all the listeners again a very happy new year. Here we are early in January. And uh, come back and see us, and we'll have another show very soon. And we have some really interesting different uh, guests coming up, so... uh, Watch us, go to uh, radio.uccs.edu and uh, under programs. And uh, I think the show comes on Sunday from 4 to 5 now. It, the, the interviews are on at 4 to 5, and it always is online there for, uh, at the station uh, at uh, SoundCloud. So you can hear the, the broadcast there. So uh, there's a lot of them uh, that you can see some of the back broadcasts too that uh, we had, we've had maybe uh, 8 or 10 months ago. So... There's about, I think, 10 or 20 at the site. So worth stopping and listening to. So have a great night, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for stopping. Bye.
He pasado por su casa, que ha venido porque quiere ser feliz.